The CDC recently came out with some new statistics on suicide. And they were surprising to folks um, that in 2022, there was a record-setting number of suicides. Now, higher than any other time since uh, we've been uh, collecting those uh, statistics in America, land of the free, home of the brave, almost 50,000 people took their own life. Well, what's even more interesting is almost 80% of those who took their own life were men. There are a lot of things that that statistic can teach us, but one of the things that we need to hear today is that hope is a rare commodity in our community today. Hope is a rare commodity, but there is good news. Hope may be a rare commodity, but we have hope for those who are looking for help. Turn in your copy of Scripture to Romans chapter 15. We're looking at the Bible, not just looking in the Bible. We're looking at the Bible. We're in this series. Have one more next week where we're looking at the Bible. What is it? Why do we read it? Why do we obey it? Why do we follow it? Why do we memorize it? What's the importance of it? Uh, and as we have gone through this journey, we see that the Bible is the words of God. It's the very voice of God to us. It's the absolute truth of the way the world is. It's a depiction of the way things should be and must be. And uh, when we follow God's word as followers of Jesus, Romans 15, 4 tells us that we have hope. Now, Romans chapter 15, really 14 and 15, Paul is coaching up the church at Rome and they were having problems. And and the problem, one of the problems that they were having is that there were uh, believers, followers of Jesus who had one idea of the way things ought to be done and another group of people in the church, believers, followers of Jesus who had a different idea of the way things should be done. Does that sound familiar? Had one group said it ought to be done this way, another group who said it ought to be done that way. And so Paul, he, he's not choosing a third way, he's choosing a Christ-honoring way. He says, okay, um, honestly, your way doesn't matter and your way doesn't matter. So here's the premise. Those who are strong, those who have solid foundation in faith, those who are uh, mature in their faith, verse 1 of Romans 15, those who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please themselves, all right? So he's saying, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're a mature follower of Jesus, then um, if I have to think this long whether I ought to say what I'm thinking I ought to say, want to say, I probably shouldn't say it, right? Yeah, pass that one up because I don't want to put some of y'all weak ones in a bad position. What it says is, if you're a mature follower of Jesus, you need to bear with. You need to extend grace. You need to um, be okay with the struggles that the weak 
ones are having and accommodate those struggles so that they become stronger. And your goal is not to use your strength in order to please yourself, but your goal is to use your strength in order to build up the body. And that means that you're going to let go of what you want and do what they want. Oh, how the church would be different if we flip the way we do things on its head. We try here at this church, where if you're a mature follower of Jesus, we expect you to let go of some of the things you want in order to build up some of those who are weaker in the faith, those who have not yet arrived where you are. And we expect, we anticipate, we do all that we can to say, If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a mature follower of Jesus, just deal with the things you don't like in order to build up those who are weaker in their faith. Do you all see where that is in Scripture? Can I read another verse for you? The very next, verses 2 and 3, says, let each of us please his neighbor for his neighbor's good, leading to edification. So often what happens, and this isn't the message, by the way. This is just kind of a rabbit trail. Um, so often what happens in churches, the people that have been in the church the longest get to say what the, what the church is supposed to be about. Uh, not what God's Word says the church is supposed to be about, but things that we prefer. So if you've been in church longest, it is my right to have church done the way I want it to be done. Well, that's not the ethic we find in Scripture. I'm sorry. It's not. It's nowhere in there. Just because you've been a follower of Jesus and a member of this church for a long period of time doesn't mean that you get to do things the way you want to do them. I don't get a lot of amens when I do stuff like that. I, I understand. I, I do. I get it. I get it. What this passage teaches, also Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through uh, 4, does the same thing. But what this passage teaches us is if we're mature in the faith, if we're followers of Jesus, then we need to let go our preferences in order to build up those who are weaker in the faith. Our goal is not what we want. Our goal is the growth of other followers. Oh, how the ethic of the church would change if that becomes our ethic. By the way, that's not the message. Just wanted you to get the backdrop. Now we'll get to the message. All right, so he says, now, this is the, he's coaching up. This is the way you need to do church now. Those who are strong in the faith, you need to let go your preference in order to build up those who are weak in the faith. Then he adds verse 3. He uses Scripture like a good preacher should. All right. He says, for even Christ, verse 3, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, now here he quotes Psalm 69. He, he quotes Psalm 69, verse 9. He says, um, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written. Anytime you see as it is written in the New Testament, it's talking about the Old Testament. All right. As it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So that is Paul taking Psalm 69, 9. And applying it to Jesus. And Jesus is saying to God the Father, the reproaches that fell on, that, that, uh, with which you were reproached, they fell on me. It's talking about Jesus, who uh, is the Son of Man, Mark 10 45, the Son of Man who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, right? It's, it's the testimony of Jesus I'm going to die on a cross for sinners. Okay? All right. 
Now we get to verse four. So verse four is not even part of his argument. Verse four is a parenthesis. He just quoted Psalm 69, nine, and now he's telling us why he quoted scripture. And what verse four does, it gives us insight into scripture itself. All right? So he says, for those, uh, for whatever things were written before, were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have, might have hope. The Bible is the way to hope. The Bible is uh, the instrument that God uses to lead us to hope. We live in a helpless, hopeless age, but the Bible leads us to hope. We've got good news. We believe that God has led you here to find hope as we open God's word and as we apply it to our lives. As we look at this passage, I want you to see a few things, and then we're going to do some application. All right? So first thing I want you to see, we're just going to dig verse 4 apart. We're, we're just going to tear it apart. It says, for whatever things were written before. Whatever things were written before, he's talking about the Old Testament, but for us today, it's New Testament as well, because we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, all scripture, which is old and new, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable uh, uh, for uh, reproof and doctrine and, and equip us thoroughly for every good work, all right? So we looked at that, and we know that whatever things were written before were written for our, and what's the word there? Learning or instruction. The aim of Scripture, one of the aims of Scripture, God has a goal when he's given us his word. Genesis to Revelation. The aim of Scripture, one of the aims of Scripture, is our learning. Instruction. Now, the term there is didaskalia. By the way, if you're new here, you know that I only have like three Greek words allotted to me in a month. I'm going to use them all today. It's first day in September. I've got all three. I'm going to use them all. All right. So the first word is didaskalia. Didaskalia is more than just information. Now, when I was in uh, high school and when I was in college, I was an accounting major in college. Isn't that great? I was an accounting major in college and I went and I learned the information, but it did not produce in me growth um, as a, a human being, as a person. I mean, maybe it did, but uh, 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 the accounting principles were wonderful, but it didn't change my life. Um, so when he's talking about didaskalia in this context, it's more than just getting smarter. It's more than just learning information to get smarter. And that's the way so many of us read the Bible. So many of us read the Bible as followers of Jesus to get information. Well, when is the second coming of Christ? Well, we don't know. Read the book. But so many of us have done a lot of work trying to figure it out. I don't understand why, and I've got a PhD in this stuff. I don't understand why you keep trying to figure out the whens and the hows and the where-to-fors about the second coming of Christ. Jesus has already told us, you don't even know when that is. Again, side trail. Scripture is not to make us smarter. 
Now, it's not bad. Smarts aren't bad. I, I know one plus one equals two, two plus two equals four, four plus four equals ten. I mean, some information that makes us smart, that's not bad. That's good stuff. But the Bible is given to us by God for something grander than just to make us smarter. The Bible's given to us for our learning to make us wiser. Um, the difference between being smart and being wise. Being smart is knowing what to say. Being wise is no, knowing when to say it. It's deeper than just having information. So when we look at God's Word, so many of us are tearing God's Word apart to get information. Not bad, but not the point. The aim of Scripture, God's aim for Scripture, is to make us wiser, to help us understand His perfect plan in sending Jesus to die for sinners upon a cross, to be raised from the dead, to offer new life to those who are separated from God by our sin, to lead uh, us to see our need for Jesus, to repent our sin, trust in Jesus, to be drawn by the Spirit of God into the family of God so that we can live out our lives every single day as sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of lords, living in such a way that we make much of Jesus wherever we go. We bring glory to God. We are a signpost to his holiness, his righteousness, his truth, and his love so that we advance the gospel around the seven cities of Hampton Roads and yes, even around the world so that we are part in ushering in that wondrous day in which Jesus himself returns visibly and literally for all the world to see, for the quick and the dead, and he will judge both those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous. He'll send some to heaven and he'll send some to hell. And we are on that journey. So when we read scripture, it's not just to figure out if one plus one equals two. It is learning and growing as a follower of Jesus Christ to see how that we might live in the fullness and the abundance that he offers us as sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The aim of Scripture is our growth as followers of Jesus, not merely informing us about the ins and outs of theological doctrinal stuff. All right? Now, that's the aim. He says, the things that were written before were written for our learning. That prepositional phrase uh, with didascalia is, this is the purpose. But that purpose produces a result. The very next phrase, see how we're digging apart verse 4? It says, the very next phrase, that we, through the endurance and the comfort of the Scriptures, that we might have hope. So the main phrase there of that second clause is we might have hope, so that we might have hope. The result of us learning from Scripture is hope. That's the result. Um, the reason so many followers of Jesus Christ live hopelessly is because they are not immersing themselves in the Word of God and growing as followers of Jesus because of God's Word. 
And you might say, well, man, I, I listen to somebody preach every day. Not the same thing. Did y'all like how I did that? It's not the same thing. Just because you're reading somebody who has studied Scripture is not the same thing as you immersing yourself in God's Word. God's Word is specifically, personally, practically applied to your life by the Spirit of God as you read the Word of God. Now, the instrument that produces that hope in us is God's Word, and God's Word does things. The first word that we see in that second phrase, so that we through, through agency or means, through the endurance. Yours may say patience. The Greek word, this is my second Greek word for the month. The Greek word there is hupomone. I mean, that's a great word to say. Hupomone. It's two words. It's a preposition, hupo, and uh, a word, a noun, mone. And uh, you, uh, in, in foreign languages, you'll take prepositions, and you'll put them to nouns or adjectives or even verbs, and you create a new word. And that's what they did in the first century. Hupomone is a classical term described among uh, the philosophers of the ancient world to describe someone who had courage to face hostile powers and to confront evil. Hupomone literally means to bear up under. Mone means to remain, to stand. Hupo means to bear up. Uh, And so, literally what it means is Scripture gives us the strength we need to stand. One of the reasons why followers of Jesus do not stand is because they're not immersed in God's Word. and They don't have that solid foundation. They don't have the strength to stand because they're not spending time in God's Word. And so when the winds blow and the floodwaters rise and, and, and chaos comes, the house falls because it's not built upon the solid rock of God's Word. You want hope? Spend time in God's Word. Follow God's Word. Embrace God's Word. Hupomone. So that we, through the hupomone and, second word, paraklesis. Paraklesis. That's my third Greek word. Can't use any more this month. Paraklesis. So that we, through the hupomone and paraklesis of Scripture. Now, paraklesis is uh, similar to the term that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit. Parakletos. Oh, that's four. Dock me next month. Paraklesis means to call alongside someone, give them the strength and the support and the encouragement and the kick that they need to get in line and to do what they're supposed to be doing. The Spirit of God is called our comforter, our encourager, our uh, advocate, our instructor. In the same way, Scripture fulfills that same role. Scripture itself becomes our companion that gives us courage. Scripture comes alongside us and comforts us when we're uh, depressed or weary. Scripture comes alongside us and, and strengthens us when we are weak. Scripture comes alongside us and gives us 
um, a correction when we're going the wrong course. Scripture comes alongside us. And whatever circumstance in which we find ourselves, Scripture applies the will of God, the way of God, through the Word of God to our situation so that we might stand strong and be courageous. One of the reasons why followers of Jesus today do not stand strong and, because, and one of the reasons we're not courageous is because we are standing upon some other foundation than God's Word. One of the reasons so many followers of Jesus are hopeless is because you spend so much of your energy building the foundation of the way you live, behave, and believe on what you're watching on TikTok or um, the news stations. There are people that actually believe that we as a church ought to be doing life differently because a politician says we ought to be doing life differently. Friends, we don't do church like that. The only reason we adjust what we do is because of what? God's Word. The way we have hope, the way we find hope here, is when we stand with the support of God's Word and with God's Word giving us the courage and the correction and the comfort and the consolation that we need. So my question is, are you reading God's Word? If I, if I could just kind of take you on a journey for me personally, Right? Now, I know that, again, the message today is for those who are followers of Jesus. But what if you're not a follower of Jesus? See, the Bible leads you to hope even if you're not a follower of Jesus because the Bible leads you to Jesus. And Jesus is the centerpiece of hope. So if you're not a follower of Jesus and, and, and maybe you're on this journey, you say, well, man, I'm hopeless. I, I, don't, I don't feel like I've, I've got life together. So you start on this journey and, and, and somebody says, well, why don't you try church? You've tried all this other stuff. Why don't you try church? You go to church. You hear the preacher talk, don't really understand what he's talking about. Um, so uh, you, you go to a life group or a small group. They say, well, just, just start reading the Bible, you know, and they point you to different places and you start reading the Bible. It still doesn't make any sense. So you decide, I'm going to go to the beginning. If I want to know more about God, I'm going to go to the beginning, and the beginning of the book that talks about God is, what's the beginning? Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, you're reading about how God created the heavens and the earth, and God created the sea, and God created the birds and the bees, and God created the chickens and the chimpanzees. God created all those things. And then you get down to verse 26 and 27, and you say, and God made man in his own image and in his own likeness. He made them male and female. He created them. And you understand that um, uh, somehow God made humanity, and, and somehow God made humanity different than he made other things. It, 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 I mean, he made humanity in his own image and likeness. You might not know exactly what that means. That's uh, a little bit beyond, but you know that that's a description that's different than, um, than how he made fish. God made man in his own image and likeness. That means he made me in his own image and likeness. He didn't make fish in his own image and likeness. As much as I like to catch fish, fish aren't the same as human beings. And so even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you begin to understand that God made men and women differently. He made men and women in his own image and likeness. Don't know what it means, but I know that there is something there that I'm not connecting with. 
I don't have purpose. I'm, I'm feeling hopeless. Maybe part of it is because I've been made in God's image and likeness, but I don't really know what that means. So how can I get to know what that means? So you start, keep on reading. You read Genesis 2, and then you get to Genesis 3, and something begins to pop in your brain. You begin to see that God made man and woman in his own image and likeness, but then man and woman, Adam and Eve, chose to rebel against God, and they sinned against God. And you're reading all the consequences. Again, you don't understand everything that that means, but you know this is bad. This is really, 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 really bad. And you start saying, man, this is really bad. And they have sinned. They disobeyed God. It made things bad. And you start connecting the dots a little bit. Well, they sinned, and they got kicked out of paradise. And, and so maybe part of what I'm experiencing in my hopelessness is that I, I was made in God. God's image and likeness, but I'm not connecting with that because of my sin. So you look at the footnotes in Genesis 3. By the way, most Bibles have footnotes. So, uh, they have little A's, little B's, little C's, little D's. And in the center column or at the bottom of the page, it will direct you to other related verses. And, and you look in Genesis 3, verse 6, and it points you to Romans 3.23 or Romans 6.23. So you flip over to Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, and you see, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you see that for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, and you begin to think, oh my goodness, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, that's me. And, and so you begin to think, well, how do I get out of this mess? I'm made in the image and likeness of God. I'm not connecting with that. Maybe that's why I'm hopeless. I've sinned. Sin is the reason I'm not connecting with that. Well, what's the answer? And so somebody helps you begin to understand, well, God has made a way. And, and so they say, well, why don't you look at Ephesians chapter 2? And so you turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, and you begin in verse 1. It says, but, but you were dead in your sin and trespass, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, who now works among the sons of disobedience, among whom you also once conducted yourself in the lusts of the flesh and of the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And you're like, ding, 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 that's me. I know that I was made in God's image. I'm not connecting with that. I've sinned, sinned. Here in verse 1 through 3 of Ephesians 2, it says, not only have I sinned, but I'm dead, and, and I'm disconnected, and, and, and I'm not experienced. I'm, I'm under wrath. And you get to verse 4, Ephesians 2, 4, but God. And you think, oh, wait, wait, here's good news. But God, that has to be good news. And so you but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin and trespasses, made us alive together in, by Christ Jesus. Uh, by grace, you have been saved. And, and, and he's made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus and, and, and so that we might, uh, so that in the fullness of times, we might be the dispensation of his goodness and his kindness toward us who believe. Uh, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, for you are his workmanship. There it is, workmanship. That connects with uh, uh, made in God's image and like. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before and that you should walk in them. So you start thinking, oh my goodness, there's a whole bunch here. And so I'm starting to think, well, maybe this is what the answer is. I need to connect with God. I need to be made alive. I'm dead in sin. I need to be made alive together in Christ Jesus. And so you start thinking about that. You start, well, what, what gets me to the point where I'm made alive? Well, it's by grace through faith. And uh, um, and so I, I need to get hold of God's grace. I don't understand what that means. And by putting my faith in Jesus. And so you start thinking about that and you start wondering about that. You say, man, that's what I need. And so you start studying a little bit more and you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and you begin in verse 17 and it says, 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And all these things are from God who has reconciled us to himself and given us the word of reconciliation. That is, that God is in Christ, reconciling, not, not imputing the trespasses against him, reconciling the world to himself. And he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, that we are ambassadors for Christ, begging on Christ's behalf, we beg you, be reconciled to God. And then you get to verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And you're thinking, yes, that's what I've been looking for. I've been looking for someone to take the sin off my plate. And so you start reading a little bit more about Jesus. You go, to the, you go to the books that talk about Jesus, and it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You start reading those, and you come across different passages, like, like Jesus saying in John 10, 10, the, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You go over to Mark chapter 10, verse 45, and Jesus says about himself, I'm the Son of Man, and the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And you think to yourself, that's what I need. I need what Jesus offers. How did Jesus offer it? And Jesus offered it by going to a cross. And you start reading Matthew chapter 27. And you see how Jesus died on a cross, not because of anything that he had done, but he died on a cross for sinners like you and me. And you read on in Matthew 28, and you see how Jesus was raised from the dead. Being raised from the dead, he gives us a new purpose. Those who belong to him, those who follow him. See, today, when we read Scripture, we need to read Scripture with that story in mind. All of that. We need to read it with the understanding that I'm part of that story. And whether I'm reading in 1 Chronicles or 2 Samuel or whether I'm reading in Revelation, I'm part of this wonderful story that God has created if indeed I've repented my sin and placed my faith in Jesus. By the way, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, can I tell you how you connect to made in the image of God, how you connect being God's workmanship, how you connect to being made alive instead of being dead in your trespass. The Bible says, Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and calling on the name of the Lord, it's simple. I don't know everything that means, but I know that the words mean the words, what the words say. To call means to cry out. Name of the Lord is calling on the Lord himself. The Bible says we got to repent to call on the Lord means we've got to repent our sin and believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and was raised to give us new life. And by the way, when we do that, it puts us in God's family. Being part of God's family is what gives us hope. Today, I, I just want to encourage you. I, I, I want to encourage you. So how many of y'all going reading through a Bible reading plan, maybe Bible in a year, chronological Bible reading, that kind of stuff? You know, it wasn't until four years ago that I ever read through the Bible completely in one year through one of those plans. Before that, I never did that. Not really sure I'll do it next year. I'm not really a big fan. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it except this. Here's the challenge. The good part is it keeps you in God's Word every day. The bad part is you're reading so many verses that you're not studying, you're not meditating, you're not, you're not listening to the Lord speak. The danger with having one of those Bible reading plans is you read a bunch just to make sure if you're in you version, make sure that you're all caught up. You're on track. You're not reading it for the learning. You're reading it to check the box. You know, 
When we start reading God's Word to change our lives, when we start reading God's Word uh, for uh, the edification that we need, for the didascalia, then God begins to soak our soul in hope, no matter what we're facing. When we start seeing our lives through the lens of this grand story that Genesis to Revelation unfolds and how we're part of that journey now. We've been brought into the, we're no longer strangers and foreigners, but now uh, to the promises of God. Now we're part sons and daughters, part of God's family. But coming into a relationship with God, being part of God's family, that's just part of the journey. See, we need to move forward in that. And so we continue to read God's word. We continue to read God's word. And, and, and it's the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us hope. So we look to 1 Peter chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from, uh, from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, uh, reserved in heaven for you. Doesn't fade away. I have hope because I belong to Jesus. And Jesus is with me every day. And his word opens my heart to see that. It, it's more than just living in that hope, but what do I do if I've blown it? How can I, how can I continue on if I'm a follower of Jesus and I've blown it so badly? What do I do then? And you turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do is weaken the flesh on account of sin. God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who are walking not according to the flesh, but according, uh, according to the Spirit. There's therefore now no condemnation. Why? Because I've been set free, but that doesn't, res that, that doesn't keep me from the responsibilities I have as a son or a daughter of God. I've got to live my life in such a way that reflects God's glory so that I'm imitating Jesus. And, and when the days are hard and, and I wake up in the morning, it's tough. What do I do? Well, maybe turn to Psalm 23. That's not just for funerals, by the way. I'm a son, I'm a daughter of the living God. Romans 20, uh, Psalm 23 is, 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 is what carries me through because, because I belong to God. I'm part of his family. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of hopelessness, of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Walk with me day by day, every day, for the rest of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, come on. There's hope. There's hope. And maybe, maybe you, you understand that there are certain things that are beyond you and, and circumstances. Circumstances you're facing right now, you don't know what to do with. So maybe you go over to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, well, that's Hebrews 12. Hebrews 4, 14 says, um, uh, for we have a high priest. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses. 
But he was tested in every point, even as we are. Yet he never sinned. Therefore, because we are connected to Jesus by faith, therefore, because he is our shepherd, therefore, because um, we are part of his family and he is our advocate, therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we find the grace and the mercy that will help us in our time of need. There's hope. You say, man, Eric, you just don't know. I'm a follower of Jesus. been a follower of Jesus for 10 years, but you don't know how bad I've done. I walked away from what God wanted, and I've lived a, a lifestyle. It's the story of the prodigal son, by the way. You can just read that in Luke chapter 15. Maybe just read the prodigal, story of the prodigal son and, and find hope there. God's arms are open wide to receive you with love when you come to him in repentance. And maybe you go to the story of David and how David sinned so badly as king and hid it from himself and hid it from others and lived as though he had not sinned the way so many people who are here today live their lives, even somebody like me. You hear what he did and how it was eating him up inside, but then go to Psalm 32 and blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through their groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Here's the kicker. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Good gracious, there's hope. Today, friends, listen. I know that we all go through a journey and life is tough and hard and difficult and we stray and we get off course. But if we devote ourselves to listen to the heart of God and the words of God through, the, uh, through Scripture, we will live in hope. So I want to leave you with three, three ideas, three things to do. And first, open your day by opening God's Word. I, I, I just wonder how different your life and mine would be if we would open God's Word and read it for growth. Not read it to get by, not read it to make sure that we're on track, but to read it so that the Spirit of God can speak to us the will of God and the way of God so that we might find strength to stand and courage for, no matter, uh, for whatever may come our way. In my backyard, there's a a maple tree and, or an oak tree or some kind of tree. It's got, it's got pretty leaves. <laughs> got little nuts that fall on the ground. And uh, during the heat of the summer, I'm thankful for that tree because it's got big bushy green leaves and it's a beautiful shade. And I think, man, that's, that's awesome. That's a, I, I appreciate that tree so much. But when fall and winter comes, I'm not so thankful for that tree. I need to cut that tree down. You know why? Because all those leaves fall to the ground. Somebody got to pick them up. I appreciate that tree when it fits my desires, but if it doesn't fit my desires, I don't appreciate that tree anymore. There's a squirrel that lives in that tree. 
The squirrel that lives in that tree doesn't appreciate that tree. The squirrel that lives in that tree loves that tree. The squirrel that, that, that sees that tree every day knows that this, this is my home. This is the place for security. This is the place for safety. This is the place where I raise my family. This is the place that provides nourishment for me and for those I love. That tree is more than just something that he can appreciate when it fits its needs. That tree is home. Followers of Jesus, stop treating God's word the way I treat that tree. Stop treating God's word with appreciation when it fits your desires and neglect when it doesn't. Treat the word of God the way the squirrel treats that tree. Make your home in it. It's your place for security. It's your place for nourishment. It's your home. It provides hope. Every day, open your day by opening God's Word. Second thing. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is ask the Spirit to apply God's instruction. Today, um, I get here pretty early on Sundays, and, and I have the final, I finalize what I'm going to preach, and then um, I do devotion stuff. I, I try to practice what I preach, and I spend time in God's Word. Um, beyond just getting ready for the sermon. So today was 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. One verse. Usually it's just one verse for me a day. I, I don't do 10. I don't do 20. I do one. Today's verse, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. You know what it says? 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ Jesus. And man, I'm telling you, I asked Spirit of God before I open God's Word, Spirit of God, will you apply your instruction to my life that I might grow, that I might have exactly what you want me to have from your Word today, from you. And, uh, and so here's what God said. And imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Paul's talking to the church, said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I thought to myself, can I say that? Can I say that? And, and, and I would say, no. But I want to say it. I, I want you to be able to imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. So, so as I'm going on that journey, here's the application. I need to imitate Christ and his love in such a way that others might see it and others might love the way you have loved us. Christ has loved us, and I need to imitate him and his love. I need to imitate him and, and, and imitate Christ in and, and, and his um, holiness so that, so that I'm obeying the Father in every way, just as Jesus did, so that, so that, uh, uh, so that others might say, well, not that he's perfect, but that he's obedient, that he's striving to be obedient. And I want, I want you to be able to imitate my obedience as, as I'm imitating Christ's obedience and, or imitate uh, Jesus in his purpose. Jesus lived with a fulfillment and a purpose that, that, that consumed him. He lived for the glory of God and the advance of the gospel. And, and I need to live in such a way that others might see it. And, and I might be able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And, and it goes on and on and on. And I won't bore you with all that. But man, I, I asked the Spirit of God to apply God's instruction and I write it down. I, I just want to encourage you, you got to write stuff down. I mean, I'm, I'm not a legalist on this, and you do it your way, I'll do it my way, but you've got to write stuff down. Today, I can go back to the sixth grade stuff I've been writing down from God's Word about Eric Thomas. 
That's not to brag. It's just the habit that I started. Parents, get your kids on that train. You're teaching them about all kinds of stuff. Will you teach them to treasure God's word and to grow from God's word? Somebody asked me after the first service, you know, do you have, do you have those notebooks? Said, yeah, I keep them all. They said, except for the places where I stopped. There were gaps. I can tell you why there were gaps. Not good reasons either. And say it again. Spurgeon said it this way. He said, the more time we spend in God's word, the more rightly we will live. The less time we spend in God's word, the less rightly we will live. So we ask the Spirit of God to apply God's instruction to our lives. And the third thing in this is one, first two, you probably already knew. Third one, I just, I just want you to dig in here, okay? The third one is read the Bible with Jesus and find hope. Read the Bible with Jesus. Theologically, what I mean by that is Jesus is the centerpiece of Scripture. He is the author and he is the subject of Scripture. Uh, from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is the one who penned it, and he penned it about himself. And Jesus is um, the one who fulfilled the promises of Scripture, who will fulfill the warnings of Scripture, who is the Lord over all, including Scripture. Jesus is from Genesis to Revelation, the theme of Scripture, and all of Scripture points to Jesus. Read the Bible with Jesus. So that's theologically. But I mean also personally. Read the Bible with Jesus looking over your shoulder. Hand on your shoulder. Leaned up. Hand on the desk. Hand on your shoulder, his breath in your ear, whispering, teaching, instructing. I'm reading the Bible, and I see his nail-pierced hand pointing out words and phrases. Exactly what I need. Read the Bible with Jesus, and then you find hope. Because your hope is not in words on a page. It's not in uh, paper and ink. Your hope is in the person that that paper and ink point to. And his name is Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, thank you so much for giving us your word, instructing us in righteousness. I pray, oh God, that you would speak clearly to each of us in a way that we cannot deny, certainly with the objective, absolute truth of your word, but that objective, absolute truth applied by your spirit to our hearts so that we might live growing as followers of Jesus. And I pray if there are any in this room today, as I'm sure there are, who are yet to come into a relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that you would Draw them to yourself as only you can do. To open their eyes and their ears to see and to hear that hope can only be found through family with you. And family with you can only be found through repenting our sin and placing our faith in Jesus. 
who died for our sin upon a cross and was raised to give us new life. I pray, O oh God, that you would draw to yourself those who are not yet part of your family into your family by your spirit through your word even today. And now be glorified among your people as we commit ourselves not to be merely hearers of your word but doers of your word.